I think over the last uh, couple of years in our evening services, we've been looking at uh, Ruth and First Samuel, and we've called our little dog that we bought from Ikea, a very easy pet to handle, not quite like Basil, but he just sits on the couch and doesn't do anything. Um, we called him Boaz. So come and meet Boaz at our place. Not Basil, but Boaz. He doesn't have anything like the life that Basil has there, Catherine. <laughs> Full of vitality. But why do we call him Boaz? Because when we looked at the story of Ruth and just the beautiful character of this man, Boaz, who stayed in the land during drought time and just a beautiful man and waited until he received this amazing wife, Ruth, um, and of course, in the end, it was in the line of David and of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible is, is rich in presenting to us characters, people like you and me. And sometimes when you read bits of the Bible, you think of characters as superhuman beings. Well, thankfully, the Bible is very honest about the human beings that are God's servants. And tonight we're going to see a story of David, this great king, who in the previous portion of scripture has just declared his trust and confidence in God and all the other things that go with being a, you know, a great testifier to the good things of God. And then he's going to go and do just... What are you doing, David? But that's like us, isn't it? You know, we are so vulnerable and weak. We think of ourselves at times when we're lifted up in faith and full of vitality, the spirit takes hold of us. Nothing will move us. Well, have a look at David. And I wrote here, the Bible is such a wonderful book because it contains the testimony of men and women just like us who wrestle with their flesh, the world, and the devil. And the record of their life is all there. You get the good and the bad together. Why? Why doesn't it just all look good? Because the Bible is there to comfort us. And encourage us and help us in our walk with God. And the accounts of the lives of these people recorded is to help us face the troubles of the world in which we live with greater understanding and insight. You know, I've always thought as I've studied the Bible, you don't have to make the same mistakes as Jonah did. You don't have to be swallowed by a whale. You may choose to do it, but that's going to be the outcome. But the story of Jonah is there to stop you getting swallowed by a whale. But then again, it may be there to remind you that if you do what Jonah did, you will be swallowed by a whale. That's why the Bible is there. It's there to teach us the truth. We don't have to make the same mistakes. In fact, when we're with each other... We can learn from each other's mistakes. And here is a story in the life of David that is to teach us something about what not to do. 
We often think that the Bible should be telling us what to do. Well, this one is telling us what not to do. It reveals the danger of failing to seek the Lord for his guidance, pursuing what appears to be a sensible solution to our problem. And we're very prone to doing that, aren't we? You know, just the other day I was within our Oglesby and we were lifting a fridge and a washing machine. You know, these 60-year-olds doing this and we get together and get the trailers out and, and suddenly in says, Michael, we forgot to do something. We forgot to pray. You're right, Ian, we did. We forgot to pray. So we prayed. And here I am standing, my back's okay. (laughs) It's so easy to go ahead in all of our activities in life and forget to do the very things the Bible is teaching us and wise Christian people and others who walk with God teach us to do. You know, David concludes an assessment of Saul's constant pursuit of him with a pragmatic solution which is completely distorted, actually, from the truth. And so often our assessment of things is completely distorted from actually what is true. Now, here is David. He has just been uh, in a situation where Saul has pursued him, where God has enabled David to go down into the camp of Saul and they all slept soundly. Why? Because a deep sleep fell on them from God. He picked up Saul's spear and his water jar. He goes up on the hillside and he calls out to him. He challenges uh, Saul's bodyguard. Why weren't you there? Why were you sleeping? And then in the end of the chapter he says, This magnificent thing, David answered, here's the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. That's a declaration. God is saying, or David, sorry, he's saying, the Lord rewards righteousness. The next chapter, he does unrighteous things. What is going on? He's completely distorted in his thinking. And so quickly, because of pragmatic solutions to his problems. But he's distorted in forgetting God and forgetting almost immediately what has happened to him and declaring what has happened to him. Well, this is not dissimilar to other characters, and that's why I titled the message Jacob and Shechem, David and Akish, Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Three stories of three great servants of God, great men of God, who did the same thing. What's the story of Jacob and Shechem? Jacob has an incredible encounter with God where he wrestles with him, God blesses him, God leads him to contact with Esau, who he's fearful of. There's an incredible reconciliation, which is a miraculous thing that uh, Jacob does not anticipate at all. Jacob is worshipping God and then he goes and settles alongside Shechem in the land and his whole family become corrupted. What is he doing? 
Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, it says, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padamaram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. Why did he buy the land? God had said he was going to give it to him. See, we, we make all sorts of decisions in our lives, forgetting what God has said. We make decisions. We come to conclusions. Because of what we see around us, Shechem seemed attractive, good place to pitch a tent, pay for the land, then he erected an altar even to worship God there. Well, I don't know about worshipping God there. What happened to him? Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and raped her. Uh, Not a good decision for a father, was it, to leave his family vulnerable to this? As a result of all this, of course, incredible things happen. Actually, what transpires in the life of Jacob is a tragic impact upon his own family and their resultant massacre of a complete community out of revenge and anger. Using deceit and intrigue, Jacob's sons entice Hamor and son of Shechem to circumcise themselves and when they're weakened, they come and kill them all. What sort of a story is that? next to a reconciliation with Esau and a magnificent intervention of God. And of course, in the next chapter, God says to Jacob, go to Bethel, the house of God. What are you doing in Shechem? Well, we know the story of Jehoshaphat and Ahab. It's another story of a godly man there in 2 Chronicles 18 who makes a marriage alliance with Ahab. What are you doing, Jehoshaphat? Ahab, who's married to Jezebel, who's worshipping the devil, and he makes a marriage alliance, this godly king of Judah. And then uh, Ahab says, why don't we go and fight together? And Jehoshaphat is, you know, he's a little bit cautious about this. He's not quite sure whether this is the right thing to do. He can sense his conscience a bit troubled. And uh, all the prophets of Uh, Ahab declare the wonderful victory and then one man comes up, Micaiah, and says, I I, I was before the Lord. Jehoshaphat hears all this, the prophetic word of Micaiah, and he doesn't listen to it because he's made an alliance with Ahab and his friendship with something that is corrupt is causing him or his association with something corrupt is causing him to put away the thoughts and words of God. And this happens to all of us. When we put ourselves in relationships that are not godly, we begin to put aside the word of God. And Jehoshaphat nearly loses his life. Only because he cries out in the middle of the battle, God hears him and rescues him, brings him back to Jerusalem, and then sends the seer to challenge him, what are you doing making friends with God's enemies? And Jehoshaphat is deeply convicted of his sin and repents and turns back to God. 
Well, here in this story today, we have David having made those bold proclamations about God rewarding the righteous and the faithful. The very first verse is this. Then David said in his heart, uh, NIV says, David thought to himself. We can do a lot of thinking to ourselves, can't we? Do you do thinking to yourself? I do. Where does that get you? Thinking to yourself. Oh, yes, I think this could be an outcome and that, that'll be... Yeah. David said, said, and even talking to yourself along these lines can be terribly dangerous. What you say to yourself is dangerous stuff. Now I shall perish one day at the hand of Saul. What? Wait a minute. A few verses before he just said, the Lord rewards the righteous and and the faithful and God has given Saul into his hand. And now he's saying one day he's going to perish at the hand of Saul. Remember this man is called a man after God's own heart. Are you a person after God's own heart? You are, actually. Can you make the same mistake as David? For sure you can. And so can I. We can think to ourselves, we can talk to ourselves, we can look at circumstances, we can do an assessment, and we can think, oh, this is all too hard, I'm out of here. There's nothing better for me to do than to escape to the land of the Philistines. Saul won't go to the land of the Philistines. He knows he's got enemies there. I'll go there and find protection. Did he ask God? Like carrying a fridge and a washing machine? Did you ask God to help you? Whatever you did, did he ask God? Have a look what happens here. And, you know, the interesting thing is that David seems to have success here in the Philistine territory. Except uh, you need to read a few chapters later on and see what happens to his family as a result. Just like Jacob. There are consequences. So David arose and went over, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Gath, do you remember that name? Goliath of what is he doing? He's killed Goliath of Gath and now he's making a friend of the king. Extraordinary. David lived with a kish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Camel, Nabal's wife, widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Oh, Obviously a great, great choice. And a great thing. See, I'm not even pursued by Saul. Here I am in a very safe place. Hmm. Well, let's just read on. Then David said to Akish, If I have found favour in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So David was a bit cautious about living in the same city. He, was, he knew that there was something to do with separation. You need to be sort of separate. The trouble is, he's not separate, he's sort of separate. You know, can you be sort of holy? 
Oh yes, oh, we can be sort of holy. What does holiness mean? Separation. He's gone into the land of Philistines. Now he thinks he can be holy. Well, just let's see what happens. So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. It doesn't take long for your heart to be corrupted when you live in the wrong place. When you put yourself in association with the wrong people, it does not take long for your heart to become corrupt. Watch David. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the, uh, the Jeshurites and the Gerzites. Uh, sorry and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep and oxen, donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. He's having great success. He's pros- prospering. His number of uh, uh, cattle and, and, and livestock is growing. Hmm. When Akish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, aha, David would lie to Akish. David's heart is being corrupted by his association with those who do not belong to God. And he is using their methods He lies. He says against the Negev of Judah because he doesn't want Akish to think that he's fighting. He wants Akish to think he's fighting the Philistine enemies against the Negev of the Jemalites and against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. He's deceiving Akish. His heart is corrupted at this point. He's having success. But what is the most important thing in your life and mine and in David's? Above everything else, guard your heart. Guard your heart and both Jehoshaphat Jacob and David choose to align themselves with those whose hearts are corrupt and their hearts become corrupted at the same time do you know I've said to my wife sometimes I'm so glad I married you that you know Jesus For you would not have prayed for me last night as you did. You would think I was crazy. Probably leave me. Or as William Carey's uh, wife did in India, tried to kill him. Yes, it says in the Bible, do not be mismated with unbelievers. Because we live a spiritual life here on earth. And uh, our adversary, yes, is trying to kill us. Here in this story, we see David, 
who's declared the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, what sort of a condition is he in now? Is he righteous? Is he faithful? We'll read a couple of chapters later when David's wives and all his family are captured and Ziklag is raided and see the consequences of putting yourself in the wrong place. Well, the New Testament is quite clear in this, isn't it? And as we had that beautiful passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship is light with darkness? You see, when you have fellowship with something or someone, you are impacted by that person. And bad company corrupts good character. What accord is Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. David, if he had stayed in Israel, in Judah, was God going to forsake him? Had God forsaken him up to this point? Well, just in the chapter before, he said God had looked after him. There is that beautiful passage to King Asa in Second Chronicles 16, where God speaks and says this, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God will show strong support for the person's heart who is truly blameless before him. That is why in Proverbs it says, above everything else, guard your heart. And as Paul says here in 2 Corinthians, go out from their midst, be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. These are promises from God. And so Paul says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Is it ever right to lie? There are some Christians who think it is. If the ends can be justified by the means. Seems to be having success. But Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God because the Lord's eyes are running to and fro over the whole earth to give strong support 
to those whose heart is blameless towards him, in other translations, whose heart is completely his, separated from all the worldly assessments and judgments and surrendered completely to what God says. But these stories are there because these are people who God loved. Jacob, David, Jehoshaphat. But God had to discipline them as a result of their rebellion and compromise. Jacob's family ended up in an absolute horrendous mess at Shechem. And he said to his family, you've made me stink in this land. Jehoshaphat nearly lost his life. And David's family is raided a couple of chapters later and taken all captive. There are consequences for compromise because God does not change. And these stories are given to us as honest portrayals of the lives of people who learnt lessons, we don't have to make the same mistakes because these scriptures are given to us to help us live our lives in a way that pleases God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Each one of us has situations and decisions to make, circumstances where we are confronted with pragmatic Solution to problems, help us to lay aside the thinking of this world. Help us, Lord, to separate ourselves unto you, to listen to what you have to say to us, to seek you concerning your will for our lives, that we may constantly live in ways that please you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to share at the Lord's table now. Um, Of course, this is a reminder of Jesus calling out a people unto himself. Establishing a covenant between God and those who would respond to be a holy people. A people separated unto him. So I'm going to get the communion table across here and then... uh, We'll also invite people forward to uh, take the elements and take them back to your seat and uh, then I'll um, lead us through the communion service. Please come forward if you would like to take communion and collect the elements.
Jesus in his ministry declared this. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is how to be separate, to have Christ dwelling within us and to allow him to reign in our hearts through his word and through his spirit. Let us pray.